Hi, and welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. My name is Deb Crow, and I will be your host. Join me on this journey as we meet heart-centered leaders from all over the globe. Lots of interesting questions, interesting conversation, and find out what makes a leader. How do they handle uncertainty and complexity? How do they lead in a time that is volatile? Join us. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. You know, every week I say to you that I, I have found another amazing leader, and here I am once again. Let me introduce you to Jesse Cole Jr. Jesse is the COO, and he coins that leadership position as the Chief Obedience Officer of Kingdom Mogul Coaching. He is a six-time author, speaker, coach, husband, and father, a man with many hats, and he has a relatable presence that appeals to those who believe there is no separation between their real life and the service they provide. I can't wait to talk about that. He has developed a framework he calls graceful accountability. We're going to ask him about that. And he helps his clients discover, build, and monetize their kingdom message while showing up in the marketplace with boldness and authenticity. So Jesse, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, I always love chatting with another leader, another coach. So I've got four leadership questions. So if you're ready, let's dive in. Let's do it. I love how you have developed a framework that you call graceful accountability. Would you share with the listeners how you developed that and what personal and professional experience you kind of packed up together to develop it? Yeah, yeah that's a good question. So um, I was working in education up until 2017. So from the time I got out of college to about 2017, I started off as a, um, a substitute teacher, right? I couldn't find any other job outside of college. So started off as a substitute teacher, making that uh, dismal $80 a day before taxes, right? Uh, this is before I was married and had children. And then I just slowly incrementally, incrementally you know, matriculated into where I was. So um, a teacher, basketball coach, football coach, parent liaison, dean of students. And then my last uh, position was as a, a college success coach, uh, helping students just navigate um, through college as they were, they had these outside influences trying to pull them away from the campus. So keeping them focused pretty much. And over that 10, 12 years, I was finding that our students were having the same issues, whether it was kindergarten on up to college, those same issues, identity issues, uh, trust issues, not understanding how to um, marry life and education, right? And so that's what I was finding. And I just prayed, I said, God, like, what do you want me to do to, to really to help these young people? And he said, you're already doing it. And he began to show me how to document um, the methods I was using without even knowing that I was using them, right? And so I call it the five T's, tell, teach, take them by the hand, take a step back and troubleshoot. I was doing those five things at any given time. And it's not a, a linear approach, it's more situational depending on where the student was. And so I, I took those five things and I brought it over in, in, into the business world, 
because again, we're all people, we all need the same thing. We're all dealing with some of the same issues. The, the threaded connectivity was those issues. And so the whole graceful accountability piece is, the accountability piece is as far as from a coaching standpoint, we have our checks and balances, we have our models, we have everything that we're gonna do. Like this is the goal, this is how we wanna to get to it. But the graceful part is learning how to do that as life happens, right? And so sometimes we can have these cookie cutter approaches to helping people and everybody is at a different place in life. So the graceful part is understanding and recognizing, okay, this is where you are in life, but the accountability piece is, this is where we need to go. So the, the current reality versus the, the desired reality piece, right? So that whole graceful accountability piece helps our clients to still do life, but not be so stringent that you feel bad when you don't accomplish a goal type of thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And you know, what's fun is the graceful accountability you bring in sharing your own story. You know, when I, when I talk to people about their leadership trajectory and they look at me with those glazed eyes and that look on, what are you talking about? You know, I go back and think about my first job. I was a babysitter. Think of the responsibility, the transferable skills. And then I was a waitress and, you know, thinking about all of that relatability. And especially when you're working with young adults, they forget that we were their age once, you know, and we have those fun cliches, you know, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. I think when we meet them at their level and they realize we're just a little farther down the road, that's really where the trust and the rapport, that sweet spot is really born. And then you can just open up and be transparent and authentic and you'll get that in return. And it just sounds like you've beautifully unpacked that with your framework that you've developed with these young people. Thank you. Thank you. It's, 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 been, a, it's, it's been a real journey. Um, I'm, I'm excited about where, where it's going as well. I feel like I just got started though. You know, <laughs> you know, you have these little shifts in your life where, you know, you, you feel as if you're going to be in this space for a long time and then you learn the lessons you're supposed to learn there. And then that shifts you into something else. So I feel like even though I'm 42 years old and married for 12 years, two children, you know, been a, been a, a professional man for, you know, close to um, 20 years, somewhere around there. But I feel like I'm just getting started. I have my, my second win to use all these life experiences to go into this new phase in my life where I'm going to helping people at higher levels, helping them to discover, build and monetize their kingdom message using the same stuff I was using in education for kindergartners, you know, so it's, it's, it's amazing. Well, as I'm sitting listening to you, the end of this month is our one year anniversary for the podcast. And it'll be a hundred heart-centered leaders that I've interviewed. And as I'm listening to you, I'm already thinking of three young leaders that I interviewed on this podcast that I absolutely want to connect you with because you're on the same path. Again, you're just a little farther down that leadership trajectory or that road and there's synergy. It's fun when we speak to people for the first time, like you and I are doing today, and it makes you think of someone else. And I'm going to, I'm going to definitely make those introductions. And I just, I can hear it in your voice. I can hear the emotion of you're not where you want to be yet. You know, you're heading on that path, but there's more greatness to come and you're just getting started. And to hear the excitement in your voice as a fellow coach, I understand. <laughs> 
Now, the second question all of my guests get, so all, everyone, since we started the podcast, share with us what imperfections you bring to your heart-centered leadership. Wow. I would say an imperfection, and I would call it an imperfection because of what traditional leadership, traditional leadership says this is a weakness, right? Not giving up on people. Like my unwillingness to not give up on people. Um, traditional leadership says that, you know, you give them three chances or you give them this chance, you take them through this, this behavioral funnel or these behavioral contracts. And if they don't do it, then you push them out the door. And so that's happened to me throughout my life. And I know what that feels like to be a part of a system that doesn't really work for you. And because you didn't assimilate, they push you out, right? And as they push you out, they push out all the potential that you could have brought to the table. They push out all of your possibilities and you felt you feel alone. And so I think that's imperfection I have, even with my clients. Like sometimes you have those beautiful clients that do everything that you want them to do, that, you, that you're coaching them to do and they're getting results. But then you have clients who just don't do what, what they're supposed to do, right? And so it's easy to say, you know what? I'm going to give you your money back because I'd rather not work with, work with you because you're not doing the work. And so it's really finding ways to tap into people's potential, to tap into what they really want and aligning the, the framework to where they are right now to push them along. Like I feel as if when you go deep like that, when you go narrow and deep like that, you really, you, you don't just speak to the result that you're trying to get. You're speaking to the soul of a person. And that's what, and that's what the real transformation takes place. When you're able to tap in to their soul, tap in to not what just motivates them, but tap in to the visions that they see in their head that they've never shared before. Tap in to that uncovered greatness that's never been exposed. When you tap into that, that's when transformation takes, takes place. And I'm just unwilling to just throw people away because they're not doing the quote unquote um, what they're supposed to be doing. No, that's an opportunity for me as a coach, as a father, as a husband, as a brother to go deeper, to go deeper to find, okay, what does your desire reality look like? Okay, if, if that's what your desire reality look like, looks like, let's take this walk together, right? That's the, that's the um, I, I shared the five T's with you to, to, to tell, to teach, to take them by the hand, like that's to take them by, the, that's the discipleship piece of that graceful accountability model. When, when you're up, I'm up. When you're crying, I'm there. When you're, when, when you're happy, I'm there. You know, when, 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 when you need help, I'm there. That, that whole take them by the hand piece, that is where the transformation takes place. So my imperfection is my unwillingness just to give up on people. I don't know if I'd classify that as an imperfection. I'd say that that's a virtue of patience that's limitless. That's amazing. You know, I also think that those clients land with us. The old cliche I used to hear from my Irish Nana, for a reason, a season, and a lesson. Mm. And I think it gives us a little, a little tap on the shoulder to say, I know you're really good at this. Don't become complacent here, here. Here's one just to stir up the pot and just, you know, show you where you've come from and, and to really bring out the best of you as a coach. Yeah, yeah. And I think those types of clients 
all of the clients that we work with are rewarding, but the ones where we really meet at a deep soulful level, because they just can't see and they don't know what they don't know. That for me is the sweet spot of coaching. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I discovered that with my son, he's seven years old. So I tell people a lot of the things that I coach about, it starts at home, right? It starts with my family. So my son, he is, he's my clone. He's, he's just like me. He's, you know, um, and so sometimes that can be hard to deal with because you see your imperfections, but you also see your greatness, if you want to say that, in your children, right? It's, it's magnified. So what we do in moderation, our kids do in excess, right? And so um, my, my son, about a year ago, he was interested in basketball. And as a, a former college basketball player who played at a high level, like, I was excited about that. I never really pushed it on him, but I'm like, I said, if he's, if he's open to it, yes, I'll, I'll play with him. I'll coach him. Right. So here I am, I'm, you know, tying up my basketball shoes and putting on my basketball clothes. We go outside and we start playing basketball, but he wants to just play around in my mind. I'm like, no, I want to teach you how to play basketball. Right. And so there was a, there was a rub there. There was a frustration there. And so every time he wanted to go outside, I dreaded it because I wanted to teach and he wanted to play and there were tears and all, you know, all this stuff was going on. And I'm like, man, if, if, if we never had to play basketball again, I'm good. Right. Cause I don't want to have to, I don't want to have that friction between my son and I, well, here we are in this year. And he said, dad, I want to, I want to, I want to try it. I want to go back outside and play basketball. I want to try it again. I said, okay. Now this time my expectation changed. I stopped projecting and I just started receiving what he wanted to do. So we go outside he begins to play and he says, he says, I want to get better at this. I said, okay, well, let's work on that. I want to get better at this. Okay, well, let's work on that, right? So now it's, it's about me sitting back and waiting for him to be ready. And then when he's ready, that's when I interject, right? And so he's goal oriented. I said, okay, so since you want to be out here all day, let's, let's set a goal. Let's set a goal. Today, I want you to make 50 shots. And I created a platform or um, a system for him to do that without really feeling it, right? But he was still having fun, right? And so, of course, he shot about 300 shots before he made 50. But the fact that I was just out there rebounding for him and he was shooting these shots and he was hitting a goal, um, that made him feel good. And that made me feel good as a father because now I'm teaching him stuff. Now, what he didn't know was that I had something bigger in mind. I said, if, if he make these 50 shots, I'm going to take him to the store. He can pick out anything he wants, right? That was his reward. I said, okay, you made these 50 shots, Dean. Let's go to the store tomorrow and you get your reward. He said, a reward? I get a reward for this? I said, yeah, you did a great job, right? So he went to the store. He picked out his, his favorite basketball. We came back home the next day. He said, I want to do this again. I said, okay, well, you got to hit 100 shots now. So now... I just expanded the system or the, or the framework to, to accommodate what he wanted to do. That right there, of course, I got some, some daddy brownie points for that, right? But that, that situation for me on a professional level is what I do every day for my clients, creating opportunities for them to be successful, but not being so overbearing that you have to, you have to do it this way. No, here, here, are, here are the tools so let's see how we can use graceful accountability to get you to where you want to go, right? And so that's what I love about the work that we're doing. 
Well, and it's a beautiful story. And I like how you said, you know, everything we do does start at home. It's our best teacher, right? What a beautiful story. And such a key age at seven. I mean, coming right at the, uh, you know, finishing of social development. So think about all the transferable skills that were packed into that game of basketball and the repetitiveness and the sustained attention and all the other cognitive emotional things that you taught them. Sometimes as parents, we do things, even coaches, and we may want to work on X, but we've got three other things underlying that may come out down the road in another session. So great analogy and great story. And you might have a basketball legend on your hands by the sounds of it. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> now it's, it's a nice segue into my next question. Language is so important. And I feel intentional words are the foundation of great leadership. We talk, you talk about leading with no apologies. So again, share with us the framework behind the phrase, and I have to throw a pun in here, give us the Coles notes <laughs> and, and the version of this theory, because I'm really intrigued to hear how this developed and how you kind of unpack it in, in your professional coaching practice as well. Yeah, leading with no apologies, um, the framework happened accidentally. Uh, I was working at a nonprofit a couple of years ago and I came in at one level with 24 other co- 23 other coaches. Uh, we came at, you know, we're, we're working through an organization called uh, AmeriCorps, which is a volunteering organization. And our job was to go into the schools here in Detroit and be graduation coaches, to be the uh, to be the um, the conduit between the college campus and high school and the counselors, right? So we're working in under underdeveloped, underprivileged areas where the resources were minimal. So our job was just to bring the resources to the community to help our students have a clear pathway to college and their parents have a clear pathway to college. And so it was 24 of us working in 11 schools. Well, um, the school that I was working in, some of the administration they were, they didn't want us there pretty much. And they were making it hard for us every day, just making it hard for us to do our job to the point to where they actually kicked us out of the school because the work that we were doing, we were getting it done faster than, than they could do it. When we, all we wanted to do was collaborate with them, right? Not compete with them, but collaborate, but they didn't want to collaborate with us, but we still had to do our work, right? And so they went to the, um, to the principal, had a meeting, said, we don't want these, we don't want these people here doing this work. And they kicked us out of the school. So here I am still working for this nonprofit organization, wanted, wanted to really do this work because I thought I, thought I was passionate about it and I was, I was good at it. And then I get kicked out of my home base. So now I have to go to the, the nonprofit hub every day to do grunt work, paperwork and filing and all this kind of stuff. Well, my supervisor said, Jesse, would you be interested in being the coach of all these coaches? So they created a position for me to coach these coaches. So here I am. I came in at this level with the coaches, but now I'm being elevated over these coaches. I'm in the trenches with them, but now they're going to see me as one of the brass right now. And I don't know how to feel about that because I like the camaraderie but also know the psychology of people or, you know, you, you think you're better than us now because you got a promotion, you know, you came in with us type of thing. Right. And so I was having a, um, a moment of feeling guilty about the success that I was having. And through that year, I learned 
how to lead unapologetically. I learned how to lead um, without feeling guilty about it. I, I learned how to still relate to people, but still be who I was created to be, right? So that's where that whole lead with no apologies piece is. Sometimes we try to, again, assimilate to what's going on in our community, in our environment, when we've been called to go higher. That doesn't mean that we're better. That just means that we've been called to a different assignment. And so my assignment shifted, but for everybody else, they felt as if I was being elevated over them. And I, it, it was hard for me to deal with that because these were, these were my friends. These are people that I came in training with. I was doing, I was in the community with these people. I was crying with these people. We were doing community events with these people, but now I'm over them and that, that, that created some kind of friction. So that happened for about a year. And so the whole Leave With No Apologies uh, book that I wrote was all about the lessons that I learned over the course of that year as far as leading with no apologies, right? So anybody listening right now, I'm not sure where you are, um, whether you are, Maybe, maybe, maybe you find yourself in that position. Maybe you're finding yourself and you feel as if, man, if, if I really live out, if I truly live out who I see in my head and what I feel in my heart, will people like me? Will they, will they, will they, will they listen to me? Will they feel as if I'm trying to be better than them? Will they even buy into me? And I want to encourage you right now that all that stuff doesn't even matter because there are people right now who are waiting on you. They're waiting on the better version of yours. They're waiting on your best version to show up because when you do that, then their breakthrough can happen. You know, you've just segued so beautifully into, into my last leadership question. Misperception is, is often observed for people in leadership, just like you framed. How do you feel a leader develops a style of heart-centered leadership to foster relatability and still be approachable yet balance that authority that is a loaded question <laughs> it's a loaded question i know for me and again i would have to only use my life as as the basis for for this answer for me it took um it took me dealing with some of the the icky stuff inside of me right and so dealing with the, the spirit of rejection, not understanding how to handle rejection. Um, it took me dealing with like suppressing my, I call it my competitive lion or redirecting that energy, right? Because I'm a competitor. Like I'm, I've been playing sports my whole life. And part of sports is you have to be better than the next person, right? And so I've had to learn how to still use that energy in a way that's supportive and not competitive, right? And so for me, in order to be a heart-centered leader, like God had to really deal with my heart. And, for, and I'm, I'm, I'm a faith-based leader. That doesn't mean religious. That just means that my faith drives me, right? It, it takes faith to show up every day. It takes faith to get up, get on these, these coaching calls. It takes faith to walk into a company and speak to leaders. It takes faith to pick up a phone and do share. I don't, I don't do sales calls. I do share calls, right? It, it takes faith to do that to do it over and over and over and over and over again. Like you have to see something bigger. And so for me, in order to be that heart center leader that you talk about, I had to deal with some stuff in my heart, that, that icky stuff. And I had to break that stuff down. So in order for me to really help the people that I'm supposed to help, the people that I'm assigned to, that icky stuff, those 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 un, those those belief systems that, that that were put there in my subconscious when I was a kid, 
those limiting beliefs that I had that were preventing me from being who I was supposed to be, who I, who I am. I had to really deal with that stuff and go deep. And that took a process. So if you would have met me two years ago, you would still, I'm still the same person. I look the same, kind of. I lost a little weight, thank God. But the way that I approach what I do is different, right? Because we're taught, especially in the business world, that you have to do it like this. You can't be compassionate. You can't, you can't be a heart-centered leader. You have to be hard. You have to be strong. You have to be no nonsense. And that's what I was being trained to do. But then God took me through a transformation. He transformed my heart, which transformed my perspectives, which transformed my character, which brought about a level of perseverance that is, that is steeped in my faith and not fear now. So once I began doing all that hard work, hard work, now I can show up with authenticity and authority and boldness that's rooted in my faith and not what culture tells me to do. I love that. I'm just going to mic drop that right there. I'm just going to put a big period. That was beautiful. The hard work gets done when you do the hard work. It's that simple. Okay, I'm going to switch gears. We're going to have a little fun. <laughs> My rapid fab four questions, just four fun questions. We want to know what's sitting on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. Tell us something we don't know about you. Something that you don't know about me is that I love watching battle rap. I don't know if you know what that is, right? You know what that is? I love uh, it's a show, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a culture. It's, it's a music culture. It's just when, when two people are competing, like it's, it's a war of words. Yeah. That, that, that's what I love about it. I love, the, I love hearing words and how people put words together. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's so full of emotion. You can, I, I've watched it a couple of times. And I'm always amazed at the insight and the awareness and how quick people can pull words together and however they choose to deliver them. And it's always fun to close your eyes and listen to the emotion. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, that's cool. I like that. Who is a leader you would like to meet? They can be living or they could have passed on. And why? Yeah. Frederick Douglass. I would, I would have loved to meet, met Frederick Douglass. Um, just the, the trajectory of his life from, you know, from a slave to like being in the White House and advising presidents, the amount of, of wisdom and knowledge that it takes to do that. I would love to just sit down and just have a conversation with him. Beautiful. Yeah. What top three leadership qualities do you live daily? Authenticity, like the good and the bad, authenticity, um, transparency. Well, I call it appropriate trans appropriate transparency. Everybody doesn't know have to know everything about you, but they need to know enough, right? Authenticity, appropriate transparency, and boldness. I love that. And I, I think you've shared that amongst your answers today with some of the leadership questions. And my last question is, what do you want your legacy to be? I want my legacy to be that he got it all out. Like everything that's on the inside of me, he got it out. Um, and I got it out so well 
that the next generation can build off of it. They can take it apart. They can decode it and, and create their own legacy from that. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing your time and expertise. And, and more, impart, more importantly, thank you for sharing your heart and being out there being a heart-centered leader. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share. We're going to put all of Jesse's information below in the podcast episode description. And we're going to ask one more question, just because I, I know that this is sitting on your heart. Is there a quote that you live by or that resonates with you that you'd like to share with us to close out the show? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the quote that I say all the time after every show, after every video that I do, is what you want to become depends on your willingness to become it. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, we want to thank you for joining us today once again. This is Deb Crow, and this is Imperfect, the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. <laughs>